Something that strikes me about the Bible is that it's full of judgment. There's just so much of it. And the prophets in particular, full of judgment, and perhaps if you were to pick one from the other side, if, if there was a corresponding element, you might pick promise, perhaps. Judgment and promise, or sometimes they say judgment and hope, but it's, it's a hope built on promise. But just to say judgment is a major theme running through the Bible. And in this chapter, we have the word of the Lord coming to Micah, and it's a word of judgment. It's a word of judgment coming. Now, I recently, uh, some of you will know what I'm talking about, I recently uh, heard a few talks um, I, for one of them, I didn't hear the whole thing, so I may have missed um, an element of, of what was said. But in these talks, um, they weren't directed uh, specifically towards being a, a gospel talks, they weren't, pre they weren't sermons as it were, but they were addressed to unbelievers and believers alike. Um, and they're, they're present day in England talks. And there were elements of the gospel in them. They were, uh, there were sections of the talks that were presented as though this was the gospel, right? This was the good news. This is what God has done. And there was language in the talks of uh, brokenness, of us, our brokenness. We are broken. Um, and of forgiveness as a solution. Those things weren't spelled out exactly um, what forgiveness was, but I'm just saying the word forgiveness was used and brokenness was how we were spoken about. And the reason I bring this up is because to me, I think it's a helpful thing for us all to spot subtle shifts in how we understand the gospel and what we and therefore how we present the gospel how we think about what God is like and what has happened at the cross and many other things now here's the thing I'm sure that the, the person who wasn't giving the talks didn't mean to put it this way but the brokenness we are broken and God comes to fix us gospel and even with the word forgiveness plugged in, is missing an element that at least isn't spelled out properly. And here's, the, here's what I'm saying. At no point, I didn't feel in the talks that I was in trouble. I didn't feel it in, I mean, I'm a believer, and so perhaps you say, well, you weren't supposed to feel in trouble because you know Christ has saved you. But I'm thinking, if I was to put myself in the shoes of the unbelievers, I don't think there would have been a point where I would have felt in trouble at the message of Christ. And the way it can work is it's kind of a uh, training wheels. It's a little bit like a training wheels gospel or a crutches gospel or a switch your muddy glass for a clean glass gospel. What I mean by that is you're not quite getting along in life very well and God loves you and so he's come to 
help that out, patch that up, fix you, right? I've never felt loved before, but guess what? God loves you. Incredibly. He even sent his son to die for you. It's amazing how much he loves you. Wow. You know, I've never felt so loved before. Right? Now, lots of good things in all of that. Right? And it is amazing that God loves us. And we are broken. And now we'll hopefully see why I've gone on this big detour as we come to Micah. Because the bit that's missing is you're in big trouble. And this is that barrel that runs through scripture. It's that word of the prophet that says, God is coming and you're in big trouble. So let's look at the text so that we can then hopefully see that uh, come out of the text. Now, it says here, the word of the Lord that came to Micah of Moresheth. So, a little bit about Micah as we're entering a new book. Micah, yeah. Micah lived in the, in the uh, at this point in Micah's, you know, the, the context in which Micah is preaching, he's preaching... Um, uh, at the time when uh, Israel and Judah had divided. So if you know the story, the, 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 the kingdom of, of Israel as a whole had split uh, when Solomon had died and his son had taken over. Then, then the kingdom split and you had Judah in the south and you had Israel in the north. And then for a, for a long period of time you had king after king after king uh, and in you know we can summarize the story as failure to worship the God that Yahweh, the God who had taken them out of Egypt, failure to uh, stick to the covenant, failure to uh, love one another as God had required them to do, and uh, eventually this leads to uh, exile. They are, the north is taken first by Assyria, uh, the south is taken uh, a number of years later, over a hundred years later, by Babylon. And Micah is prophesying at the same time as Isaiah, their contemporaries. They're around about 730, Micah is about 735 to about 700 uh, BC, and... That's when, that's when Jotham, Ahaz and Hezekiah are kings of Judah, right? Judah in the south. And uh, one of the refrains that, that runs through kings is this refrain. Well, it, it, it varies slightly. Sometimes it's um, so-and-so became king during such and such a number of the king in the north. And he reigned for so and so, how many, however many years. And he, A, did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. Uh, B, did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. Or C, did what was right in the sight of the Lord, but not as David his father had done. And he didn't remove the high places. Right? And that's a key element because it wasn't complete, uh, it didn't look completely like they've. Um, left the God of Israel, right? Because they've still got 
some of the stuff that had been, uh, the instructions that had been given to them at Sinai, but they didn't remove the high places, these extra places where they would offer sacrifices to various gods of the nations. So that's the context into which Mike is preaching, uh, his message comes. And note here that it's the vision, this is verse 1, it's the vision he saw concerning Samaria and Jerusalem. So Samaria is the capital in the north and Jerusalem is the capital in the south. And here is the message. Verse 2. Here, you peoples, all of you, listen, earth and all who live in it, that the sovereign Lord may bear witness against you, the Lord from his holy temple. Now, what I want to say about this is, did any... Well, we don't have... We don't, it's not a... It um, doesn't go back and forth, does it? Dialogue here. Let's try it. Who is the message addressed to? All the peoples. Right, yep. Very good. And what is, what is um, the sovereign Lord going to do? Bear witness against you. Against. That's the word I want to capture. Bear witness against you. Now, here's, why, here's what I'm trying to flag up. It's a message, verse 1. The vision is concerning Samaria and Jerusalem, Israel and Judah, right? And the first thing Micah says is, listen, all you peoples... I'm going to bear witness against you. Does anybody see the kind of problem we have? Or at least something that we have to say, what's going on there? Right? So, what's going on there? Now, let's move down. Uh, sorry, flag up one other thing about this. It, it, you see how it says that the sovereign... Lord. You see that in verse 2? Notice that the word Lord is in capitals, right? So when you have the word Lord in capitals, that's the, um, that's the name that God gave to Moses, told the Israelites, you know, this is my name. And so we have the kind of, uh, it's the transliteration of the Hebrew Vowels. Um, that's one way to put it. But in English, we have Lord in capitals, right? The point I'm making there is it's a different word to the other word Lord in this same verse 2 where it says, the Lord from his holy temple. You see that? So you've got two different... It's got Lord twice, spelt different ways, right? Now, here's why I say that. The word sovereign, think of it not as an adjective, Think of it as a noun. So don't think of it as the sovereign Lord, as in this type of Lord, the sovereign one, or maybe like the all-powerful, a very powerful one. Think of it like this. The sovereign, or the Lord, or the king, 
Yahweh may bear witness against you, the sovereign from his holy temple. The reason I'm flagging that up is because I think what's happening here, that I'm bringing that to attention to point out that I think what's happening is the vision is, first of all, the Lord, the God of Israel, addressing himself to the nations as I am the king. This king, the God of Israel, is going to bear witness against the nations from his holy temple. And here's what he does, verse 3. Look, the Lord is coming from his dwelling place. He comes down and treads on the heights of the earth. The mountains melt beneath him and the valleys split apart. So the vision that then comes is this vision of the Lord coming down to the earth and creation falling apart beneath him. One of the things about Micah is it's a short book and there's not extended discussions about, you know, this is only two verses, but it's packed full in its imagery. And so we have to capture that sense, we have to see that sense of that imagery that's happening in there to appreciate what Micah's doing, because he doesn't have a long space of time. And so this image of, of the Lord coming down and creation melting underneath him, it's presenting the Lord as the creator. And what you have is all people as the created. And when the world itself is melting underneath him, we are looking at uh, the decreation of the planet. We are looking at Noah uh, flooding, God flooding the world uh, in the days of Noah. The whole world is melting because of the Lord. And all of this is happening because of Israel. It's because in Samaria, Samaria is the problem and Jerusalem is the problem. This is verse 5. All this is because of Jacob's transgression, because of the sins of the people of Israel. And what is that? Samaria and Jerusalem. And so in verse 6 and 7, the result is that the Lord, see, therefore I will make Samaria a heap of rubble. Samaria and Jerusalem are engaged in idolatry as we can see from here in verse 7, all her idols will be broken in pieces, her temple gifts will be burned, and I will destroy all her images. Samaria is engaged in idolatry, and the Lord is coming down, and he's going to smash the city, he's going to pour the stones down into the valley, he's going to dig up all the foundations of the city, and everything's going to be destroyed. The people are not safe. It's not just that the city is going to be destroyed. It's that the people in it as well are going to be destroyed. It's not just a threat of, I'm coming to smash up your buildings. It's a, you are in danger. And let's just remember, the nations are supposed to be hearing this. Listen, nations. 
that God's people are about to get smashed because of their idolatry. And so what's the next part? From verse verse 8 to 16. So that's the first thing we have. That's the first section, right? We have the Lord addressing the people, addressing the the nations. Here's what's going to happen. And this is why it's going to happen. The Lord's going to come and smash Samaria because it's full of idolatry. And then in verse 8 to 16, we have the first two verses. Verse 8 is, um, is Micah's response. Because of this, I will weep and wail. I will go about barefoot and naked. I will howl like a jackal and moan like an owl. That's Micah's response. We'll come back to his response in a minute. And then he gives a reason why. Because Samaria's plague is incurable. It has spread to Judah. It has reached the very gate of my people, even to Jerusalem itself. Corruption has made it all the way through Israel. And Micah is weeping and wailing because of the state of affairs. Then, in verse 10 down to 15 we have a bunch of stuff that perhaps when we read it you thought I've, I got lost somewhere if you were like me you got to about verse 12 and you thought I'm not quite tracking anymore I don't know what's going on and maybe in your purple red Bibles you've got a, a section, It does it say in your Bibles down the bottom uh, Shafir means pleasant Zayaman sounds like the Hebrew for come out. Can I get a yes or a no? Yes. <coughs> right. Uh, and Gath, etc. Gath sounds like the Hebrew for to tell. Um, I did have my nice little summary of this uh, from a, uh, one of my commentaries. Uh, I, I liked the way that he put it, and I was planning on reading out what he had. Sorry I haven't brought it. <laughs> um, But basically what he says is, in Tell Town, this is a kind of paraphrase in English, you know, what the equivalent might be, something like this. In Tell Town, don't tell it. In Dustville, roll in the dust. In Beautyland, pass by naked and ashamed. Those who live in the going out town aren't going to go out. (laughs) the place of protection no longer protects you etc etc right that's the effect that's having we can't we don't capture it because we're not hebrews living um 2700 years ago but that's what they would have heard and they would have heard that from verse 10 right down to verse 15 where it says i will bring a conqueror against you who live in marashah Uh, the nobles of Israel will flee to Adullam. And that, so that whole section there is kind of like a poem. It's a little bit... Um, uh, it's a little bit erratic. Um, and... The effect that it has is... It creates, a, it creates a kind of sense of trauma, right? 
even the grammar in the Hebrew is, is glitchy, let's say. And this happens at other points in, uh, in the Bible as well. In Ezekiel, in the first chapter of Ezekiel, you get this weird vision, right, if, you, if you've ever read Ezekiel, of four wheels and coal in between the wheels and bright lightning and thunder and colours and weird beasts with wings facing each other, spread out, touching each other, right? It's, it's this strange vision and again there the grammar almost ca- gra- the grammar is almost a part of uh, the prophet's uh, mechanism for describing this kind of traumatic scene. And that's what's happening in that, this, this kind of poem in Micah. It's this traumatic scene of, as, as Micah names these towns around and about this, the southwest of, of Judah, which means that the, the, city, the, the, the nation that's coming is running right through from the north, right down through, right into the heart of, of Judah, this tragic, traumatic scene. Don't don't go out. Pass by naked and in shame. Roll in the dust. Verse 12, those who live in Maroth writhe in pain, waiting for relief. What we're supposed to feel at this point is great trauma. This is a tragic, scary thing that's happening. Now, what's going on there? I think one of the purposes of this is to sober us. I think that's what it's meant to do. It's meant to make the people for years of Israel to get a, have, feel a sense of, you know, in this particular situation to the first hearers, it was meant to produce repentance. The people were supposed to say, whoa, all these idols that we have, we need to repent. We need to turn around. We need to get right with God. That's what it's supposed to do. And actually, part of Micah did that. In Jeremiah, we read that um, some people are given Jeremiah grief because he's prophesying the uh, judgment's about to come. And then someone stands up and says, oh, no, hold on, just don't freak out because he's prophesying about the judgment of Jerusalem. This happened years ago with Micah. Micah said that the judgment was coming to Jerusalem and Hezekiah repented and the Lord didn't bring the disaster on the city. So even, and, and, they, and, and, and in Jeremiah, the words of Micah are quoted. So we have that effect of the words are supposed to produce repentance and spare the people the coming judgment. Um, the other thing it's supposed to do is it's supposed to bring up sin and, uh, sin and idolatry and rebellion to the attention of the people. Now, One of the things that um, we hear is that idolatry is 
a thing that the ancients got caught up with and that's not us, right? That was a, that was a thing ancients did. Um, but many people have pointed out that uh, idolatry is still totally rampant today. Um, you can basically say that um, trusting in something other than the God of the Bible to save you and to make you prosper and to give you life is idolatry. So let's just think about some of the things that, where that is the case. Without uh, um, just doing a general stroke right here in our, within our earshot, next door is Buddhism. That is trusting in something other than the God of the Bible to save you, make you prosper and give you life. Just down the road on Fridays, they pray at the mosque. That's something other than trusting in the God of the Bible to save you, to make you prosper and give you life. That's right here at the corner shop and the, with the halal butcher, etc. Um, not only so, but just a few doors down is the Magic Cafe. Uh, there is a, a whole board devoted to ways to save you make you prosper and give you life. Uh, there is the whole self-help uh, program. There is the, down this way, we have the educated atheist who relies on themselves to save themselves, to make them prosper and to give them life. And we may have someone right here who pledges allegiance to Christ on the lips but worships and serves something else with their life. And so there's a text that calls for examination. You see, Jerusalem is mentioned and there's a shock there, you see, because the people of the time didn't think well, they should have thought, just because we're here in Jerusalem, are we safe just because we're here in Jerusalem? You see? There's a shock there. It's Samaria. What's the transgression? Right. It's Samaria and Jerusalem. Hmm. There's a bit of a shock. And perhaps not for us, but maybe we feel the shock a bit more, even if by me just saying, maybe there's somebody right here. That helps us to feel the shock a bit more. Because if you look in uh, this sense of safety, look where they say um, in chapter 2, verse 6, do not prophesy, their prophets say, do not prophesy about these things. Disgrace will not overtake us. Disgrace won't over overtake us. Right? And, oh, where's my note? And 3.11... And 3.11, 3.11b, is not the Lord among us? No disaster will come upon us. Idolatry can reach right into the heart of the community of God as well. And they would have perhaps laughed at the idea at the time, but it happens today just the same.
And so there's this warning as we see in this first chapter of Micah the danger of idolatry. And the Lord coming to bring judgment against it. Now the second thing is coming back to talking about the gospel and just to quickly plug in this now to what I was saying the can, can, can you see the difference in the way that the gospel is then presented or what we think the message in scripture is this chapter here is telling us about a God who is going to smash his own people because they are idolatrous. And he wants the nations to hear that as a, as a sound of warning. Flick over with me to chapter 6. And verse... Chapter 6. Sorry that I've lost the... Ah, sorry, chapter 5, verse 15. See, it says, I will take vengeance in anger and wrath on the nations that have not obeyed me. That word there, obeyed, that is the same word as here in chapter 1, verse 2. I will take vengeance in anger and wrath on the nations that have not listened to me. There's a word for the nations here. Turn from idolatry. Now, just as we come to a close, moving through to the New Testament... This is the same kind of thing we read about in Romans, isn't it? This is the same kind of presentation of the message. Romans chapter 1 verse 18. The wrath of God, Paul says to the people, is, re- is being revealed from heaven against all the ungodliness and wickedness of men who suppress the truth by their unrighteousness. Right? There is idolatry, as the chapter goes on. There's idolatry. They exchange the truth about God and worship and serve the creature rather than the creator. And there is the wrath of God being revealed and it's stored up and it's going to come and be poured out in the future. Or if we look at uh, 1 Thessalonians 1 verse 9 to 10, we have another message of a future coming. Uh, So it says here, For they themselves report what kind of reception you gave us they tell how you this is Paul uh, Paul talking about the Thessalonians they tell us how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven whom he raised from the dead Jesus who rescues us from the coming wrath So we have, we have Micah, this chapter that we're in at the moment, talking about God coming to bring judgment 
on idolatry. We have Romans giving the same message and 1 Thessalonians as an indication of what happened when these people got saved. The message it seems included, there's going to be a coming wrath and Jesus is the one who saves you from it. All that is to say, idolatry is still an issue and the Lord is still coming. And what we should feel is absolute trauma. We should be terrified that this is the case. Now, there's a bit that they didn't know. And that was that what was going to actually happen is the Lord was going to come twice. You see? That was the fresh revelation. He was coming twice. And, you see, because even though they were taken into exile, the problem was never really solved. The real problem was that sin needed to be cast into the depths of the sea. At the end of Micah, you have this phrase, who is a God like you who pardons sin and forgives the transgression of the remnant of his inheritance? You do not stay angry forever, but delight to show mercy. You will again have compassion on us. You will tread our sins underfoot and hurl all our iniquities into the depths of the sea. That's what the Israelites really needed. They were idolaters. It had been the case right through their history. They needed their sins to be trodden underfoot and to be thrown into the sea. And that's exactly what you have with Jesus. So the Lord comes, but he comes twice. And instead, the interesting thing is that instead of them being carried away to exile... Jesus is led out of the city as a prisoner. He is the one, as it were, weeping and wailing, going about barefoot and naked for the sake of his people. He was the one literally experiencing in his body the trauma of judgment. So Jesus is the one who, at the end of the day, takes this wrath, takes this judgment upon himself, taken out of the city, and experiences exile for the people's idolatry. And he'll come again. So, you know, there's nothing new here in terms of the gospel. Here we have the gospel. We're we're idolaters. We're in big trouble. But God has sent his son to take the judgment, to bear it in our place. Forgiveness of sins, sins hurled into the depths of the sea, But Christ is coming back. And so there's still a message of there is a coming judgment. 
and it's a traumatic moment. So repent. So do like Hezekiah did. Turn. Turn to Christ for the forgiveness of sins and have your sins hurled into the depths of the sea. And so now we're going to sing some songs. And what were those songs again, Kat? Um, I'm going to start with Two Sins Have We Committed, which is a prayer of confession about the idols that we have in our hand and prayer that God would change our hearts. Yeah, and then we're, and then, and we're going to also sing about... Um, we're also going to sing about the cross, yes. What was that one called? Rugged Cross? Man of Sorrows. Man of Sorrows. As we sing that, think about Christ... Um, beaten uh, as the you know as the as the songs of the word will have it. It's a song you know. It's quite a graphic song uh, for us. That's Christ saving us. Let me pray. <coughs> Father, as we've heard from your word tonight, we ask that you would uh, do your good work. I pray that um, the good purposes that you have would take root. I pray that words that were spoken which were true would be remembered and words amiss would be forgotten. I pray that you would give us a, an increased um, view of who you are, what you're like, Give us a fresh vision of our own sinfulness, of idolatry in our own hearts. Um, please cause us to appreciate the cross more deeply and the judgment that you bore, Jesus, on our behalf. I pray that you'd, as we work our way through Micah, that you would increase our knowledge of you and change our lives as we hear it. As we sing these songs, we sing praise to you, God, for who you are and for what you've done. In Jesus' name, amen. <coughs>